Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The latest updates on the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband, what the police tell us and how lawmakers are responding. As the midterms are quickly approaching, President Biden and Vice President Harris are showing their support for a certain Democratic candidate. And a key race for governor is much closer than expected. A Twitter content moderation council with diverse viewpoints. The latest on Elon Musk's plans after clinching the deal to buy the company last night. And the Florida Board of Medicine bans puberty blockers for minors. This after board members heard testimony from detransitioners. Reactions are pouring in after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked this morning. NTD's Iris Tao has more on the latest developments. More details are emerging after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, was attacked at a couple's San Francisco home early Friday morning. The Associated Press reports that Paul Pelosi was struck several times in the head and suffered blunt force injuries. But Nancy Pelosi's office says he is expected to make a full recovery. And more on the attack itself. Multiple outlets are now reporting that the intruder shouted, where is Nancy, before attacking the lawmaker's husband. The House Speaker was here in D.C., not at home in San Francisco at the time. The local police department gave us more details on Friday afternoon. At approximately 2.27 this morning, San Francisco police officers were dispatched to the residence of Speaker Nancy Pelosi regarding an A-priority well-being check. Our officers observed Ms. Pelosi and the suspect both holding a hammer. The suspect pulled the hammer away from Ms. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. The police identified the suspect as 43-year-old David DePap of California, adding that he'll face charges of attempted homicide and assault with a deadly weapon, among others. But the reason for the attack is still unclear. The motive for this attack is still being determined. And reactions are pouring in from both sides of the aisle. The White House says President Biden has spoken to Nancy Pelosi this morning. And Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called the attack a dastardly act. Meanwhile, Republican Senator Ted Cruz tweeted, quote, We can have our political differences, but violence is always wrong. And Steve Scalise, the House Republican whip who was himself shot in 2017 at a congressional baseball practice, has also joined in condemning the attack, saying violence has no place in this country. And now Capitol Police are considering stepping up protection of lawmakers following the latest attack. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Midterms are quickly approaching, and it looks like what many thought was a tight race in Georgia may not really be that close after all. NTD's Jason Perry brings us an update on the midterms. A recent Monmouth poll shows the Georgia Senate race between incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican candidate Herschel Walker is a close one. But according to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, that might not be the case. On Thursday, Schumer was overheard on a hot mic telling President Biden that Georgia's Senate race was, quote, going downhill for Democrats, adding that it was hard to believe that Georgia voters would go for Herschel Walker. Meanwhile, former President Barack Obama will be in Atlanta on Friday to rally for Warnock. A new poll by Real Clear Politics says the race for New York governor is a toss-up. 
Republican candidate Lee Zeldin may be in an uphill battle in the blue state against incumbent Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul, as seen in this recently tweeted video. It shows a woman in what appears to be an official uniform, pulling the Republican candidate's campaign signs out of the ground. NTD has not independently verified the video. The city is corrupt. And in Arizona, less than two weeks before the election, Fox 10 displayed a controversial graphic during its newscast. The graphic showed that Democrat candidate Katie Hobbs had won the race for governor, beating Carrie Lake. Fox 10 acknowledged it had aired the graphic, blaming it on a test gone wrong. A Fox 10 Insider Advantage poll shows Lake over Hobbs by 11 percentage points. And in Nevada, after approval from the state's Supreme Court, dozens of volunteers began hand-counting mail-in ballots. Now that same court has ruled the process illegal, and counting votes by hand in Nevada has been paused. Also in Nevada, Republican Senate candidate Adam Laxalt was recently endorsed by former Democrat Tulsi Gabbard. This comes as 14 members of Laxalt's family have reportedly endorsed his Democratic opponent, incumbent Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Candidates for the Alaskan Senate just finished up with a debate on Thursday. Republican candidate Kelly Shibaka, who is endorsed by former President Donald Trump, said her opponent, Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski, cannot accomplish in the next six years what she hasn't been able to accomplish in the last 21 years. While Murkowski, who has held the Alaskan Senate seat since 2002, said the race is about, quote, who can best deliver for Alaska. The last frontier will be using ranked choice voting for their election. And in Pennsylvania, after what some are calling a rocky debate for Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Dr. Mehmet Oz is now leading by three percentage points, according to an insider advantage poll. Biden and Vice President Harris, who rarely make an appearance together, will both be in the important swing state of Pennsylvania to campaign for Fetterman. Jason Perry, NTD News. And it's a new era in the Twitter sphere. Elon Musk officially took the helm last night, and changes are already afoot. Elon Musk announcing in a tweet Friday afternoon, Twitter will have a content moderation council made up of members with widely diverse viewpoints, and will have to wait till the council convenes before any major changes to content or accounts are made. The billionaire entrepreneur completed his $44 billion acquisition of Twitter late Thursday. His first move was reportedly dismissing the company's top leadership, which he accused of misleading him over the number of spam accounts on the platform. There are reports that the CEO, the CFO and the policy chief have all departed, according to CNBC, The Washington Times and The New York Times. The deal close puts an end to what had turned out to be a protracted legal battle between the two sides. Musk tweeting, the bird is freed, and later, let the good times roll. The self-described free speech absolutist had long criticized the platform for censoring viewpoints, saying in April it has potential to be a platform for spe free speech, but needs to be transformed into a private company first. And on Thursday, writing, it is important to the future of civilization to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated. The acquisition stirring speculation about the potential return of censored accounts if bans are lifted, including that of former President Trump, who wrote on Truth Social Friday, I am very happy that Twitter is now in sane hands. He did not indicate whether he would return if given the opportunity. 
though he has previously said he'd prefer to stay on Truth Social, which is his own platform. And mixed responses around the globe about the takeover. Indian politician Rahul Gandhi writing, I hope Twitter will no longer stifle the opposition's voice in India. The European Internal Market Commissioner asserting that in Europe, the bird will fly by the EU's rules. And former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev saying good luck Elon Musk in overcoming political bias and ideological dictatorship on Twitter. Chief Investment Officer of Forager Funds Management Steve Johnson said it's been a heck of a roller coaster, that's for sure, and we're certainly happy from a financial perspective that the deal has closed. And Musk also tweeted earlier this evening, quote, anyone suspended for minor and dubious reasons will be freed from Twitter jail. That's in response to Jordan Peterson's daughter asking if the author's account would be unsuspended. And earlier today, I spoke with the founder and president of the Internet Accountability Project, Mike Davis, for his perspective on the takeover. Mike Davis, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, while free speech advocates are celebrating Elon Musk's Twitter takeover, concerns still remain that, as you've said, free political expression shouldn't depend on the benevolence of billionaires. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so what Elon Musk has done here is great for free speech. It's great for democracy. He's, uh, he's done a great thing here. Uh, he's really made a bad investment, it, it seems, to take a, 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 public comp a public company private so we can enjoy free speech online without having to worry about censoring ourselves or getting censored based upon our political viewpoints. But what we've seen with these trillion-dollar big tech monopolists, Google, Amazon, Facebook and Apple, is that they could easily crush these online platforms. We saw this uh, when uh, a, a couple of years ago when people said to conservatives that if you don't like Twitter, build your own, and Parler did that. Uh, Parler quickly got a $1.3 billion valuation, and it was starting to see an exodus of conservatives to, uh, to Parler from Twitter. And so what, what happened? We, we saw uh, uh, Facebook blame Parler for organizing the January 6th uh, riots, even though they were organized on Facebook, Google and uh, uh, Google and Apple kicked Parler out of the App Store duopoly, and then Amazon, is Amazon kicked Parler off the internet and, and quickly crushed Parler. Now Musk wants to transform Twitter not just into the global digital town square, but an everything app, something like China's WeChat, but for the world. Are we wading into dangerous territory here with centralization and overdrive? Do you think? Well, I think that's been the problem with big tech or any any concentration of power, uh, whether it's with the government or it's with private companies, concentrations of power are dangerous and they are dangerous to our liberties. They're dangerous to our livelihoods. And big tech proved that over the last three years, how they are demonetizing, debanking, uh, kicking people off the online uh, town square, how they make their money, how big tech makes its money is they sell us to advertisers. We are the commodity. They are surveillance companies that surveil anything, everything they can find out about us, our searches, our movements, uh, our, our likes and dislikes, and then they sell us to advertisers. It is a very lucrative online, uh, online world. And big tech has the power to cancel people from that world, and that cannot keep happening. And some Twitter users are alleging now that Musk has access to evidence of political crimes with this takeover. 
what do you think he could learn about Twitter's censorship, and do you expect that he'll make that information public? Well, Jen Psaki uh, very proudly proclaimed when she was the White House press secretary that the Biden White House, including Tony Fauci, is colluding with big tech to censor, silence, uh, and deplatform those who dared to question the science, those who dared doctors and scientists and policymakers who dared to question Tony Fauci during COVID. All these people ended up being correct, but uh, Twitter censored these people on behalf of the Biden administration. And that is a First Amendment violation. When you are working with the federal government, when you're working with the White House and the Biden administration to kick people off of platforms based upon their view, viewpoints, that is clear, very clear censorship and political discrimination. And that could be criminal. You're saying legislative action is still needed to secure internet freedom. What would that look like in your view? Well, it, absolutely, it needs to happen. We, we've had the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act on our books for, uh, for a century. These are conservative law enforcement measures. They're the opposite of regulation. You are targeting the, uh, the tumors on the free market. And in order to have a free mar market, you have to have a functioning market. And when monopolists are using their market power to crush competition, you no longer have a functioning market. You no longer have a free market. And that's where these antitrust laws come in. Uh, we need to update uh, these antitrust laws so we can target big tech uh, and we can break up their monopoly power. And there are bills, bipartisan bills, working their way through the House and Senate right now with Congressman Ken Buck, the conservative all-star House member from Colorado, to uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, a conservative populist from Iowa, my former boss. And they are working on bipartisan bills to break up big tech's uh, 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 control, their grip over online information and commerce. And there is a rare closing bipartisan window of opportunity to get this done, even in the lame duck session of Congress after the elections, to get this done where we can finally take the critical first steps to breaking up big tech. And that's the non-discrimination bill. It's a venue bill. It's a state AG bill. It's a filing fee bill. It's a disclosure bill for Chinese subsidies. It's a journalism bill. These are critical first steps to break it, breaking up big tech's market power, their monopoly power over information and commerce. And Republicans need to get on board with this. Uh, and again, in order to have a free market, you must have a functioning market. All right. And finally, do you think Musk's Twitter takeover could impact the midterms? And if so, how? Well, it's going to impact it in this way, where the Democrats and leftists won't be able to use the guise of protecting us from misinformation and disinformation or protecting democracy, whatever nonsense they're saying, to bury the truth, like they did with Hunter Biden's laptop in 2020, when Democrats colluded with big tech and big media to bury the story of clear uh, smoking gun evidence of foreign corruption of the Biden crime family. So they can, and they even deplatformed the New York Post, the oldest newspaper in the country, so they can. Uh, push Biden over the finish line. That that will not be able to happen again this midterm election. So so that's a good thing. Mike Davis, founder and president of the Internet Accountability Project. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Minors in the state of Florida will no longer be allowed to take puberty blockers. Several people who used to identify as transgender spoke before the Florida Board of Medicine today. According to the Daily Mail, one woman who used testosterone when she identified as a man testified at the hearing. 
She said she was later diagnosed with PTSD and she also attempted suicide. After hearing the detransitioners' experiences, the board voted to ban puberty blockers for children under 18. Board members say they decided on the ban because the drugs are irreversible and also because the number of detransitioners is growing. There's not much evidence available on the drug's long-term effects. And many say that gender transition treatments decrease the risk of suicide for youth. But a researcher who studied these medical interventions says the analysis is flawed. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. In April 2021, Arkansas was the first state to prohibit doctors from providing minors with cross-sex treatments, including prescriptions for puberty blockers, hormone drugs, and surgeries. But in August, a federal appellate court affirmed a lower court ruling that temporarily blocked the law. Last week, a trial began in a case attempting to permanently block it. On October 17, Dr. Deanna Atkins, a North Carolina pediatric endocrinologist, testified in the case on behalf of the challengers. She spoke about young people suffering from gender dysphoria, a persistent distress over the sex of one's body. She shared anecdotal evidence that they frequently see dramatic improvement in their distress after getting treatments. Dr. Jay Green, a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, authored a report titled Puberty Blockers, Cross-Sex Hormones, and Youth Suicide. In it, he states lowering legal barriers to make it easier for minors to undergo cross-sex medical interventions without parental consent does not reduce suicide rates. So how does cross-sex medical interventions, in other words, drugs or surgery, reduce the risk of suicide in adolescents? Well, so it doesn't. Actually, we find that those interventions exacerbate suicide risk among young people. At the heart of this all really are that there are underlying mental health problems um, that need to be addressed. And if we give people false interventions that don't really address their problems, uh, then we actually leave them at risk for suicide. He said, unsurprisingly, youths who don't qualify for the procedures due to mental instability later report greater mental health problems. In his report, Green says the use of cross-sex hormones for adolescents was very limited before 2010. But do you know what happened in 2010 that caused this sudden uh, uptick or burst of use of these drugs, or, or even for teens to actually want them? Sure. So, so the first gender clinic in the United States opened in Boston in 2007. And uh, uh, so there was very small amount of use of these drugs for the purpose of treating gender dysphoria around then. And the gender clinics began to spread to other parts of the country so that by 2010, it began to be a thing across the country where there were gender clinics prescribing um, uh, these drugs for the treatment of gender dysphoria. It ramped up dramatically around 2015. He said gender dysphoria treatment is a phenomenon that became widespread after Caitlyn Jenner's transition became big news. In my next report, I continue my conversation with Dr. Green. Among other things, he will explain why psychiatrists are reluctant to treat underlying mental health problems. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Up next, Brazilians voting to elect their next president this weekend. We hear from an expert on how the election could affect the United States. And in the NFL, a sad personal announcement from superstar quarterback Tom Brady. NTD's Dave Martin has the report. That and more coming up.
Brazil is holding presidential elections this Sunday. How could this affect the United States? Our reporter spoke with an expert to find out more. Left-leaning presidential candidate Luis Inácio Lula da Silva, better known as Lula, is challenging current President Jair Bolsonaro to take over the role as Brazil's head of state. If Lula succeeds, South America's largest and one of the only remaining conservative-led countries would tilt to the left. Left-leaning regimes will occupy almost every single country from the southern tip of South America up to the U.S. border with Mexico. Marcos Chacas is the editor-in-chief for the Epoch Times Brazil. He says socialist and communist movements in the whole region could be significantly strengthened if Lula wins, because he'll fund them as he did in the past. So can you imagine the power these regimes would have to wage unconventional warfare against the U.S. should Lula da Silva get elected? Chacas says back in the 50s, communist countries China and Russia started the practice of using drugs to infiltrate and destroy Western countries. He says this practice is being continued to this day. Almost every country, especially Cuba and Latin America, plays a key role in getting that strategy moving forward. Brazil has traditionally been a powerhouse in exporting drugs. It has ports and it has routes that have been used to get drugs to the U.S., to get drugs to Europe, and even to get migrants to the U.S. border. So with Lula in power, we have a government that is traditionally aligned to all the regimes that have been making that happen somebody who was personal friends with Fidel Castro. There's also the issue of rare earth minerals, which are used to make a variety of things, from fighter jets to microchips. Brazil has around 17% of the world's rare earth minerals. Russia has 18% and China has 44%. Chakis says Lula would bring Brazil closer to China, which will negatively affect the U.S. Um, the U.S. would have less access in the long run to strategic resources and the rare earth minerals are just one example. Supporters of Lula say Lula has been president of Brazil already, around 15 years ago, and they say the country didn't go down this path. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Former high school football coach Joe Kennedy, that's the one who lost his job for praying at midfield after games back in 2015, will be reinstated on or before March 15, 2023, according to court documents filed this week. Kennedy, who took his case all the way to the Supreme Court where he won this past summer, is planning to move back to Washington State later this year to return to his part-time job. It's big news. We were super excited for Coach Kennedy. You know, when um, people go and work for a public employer, they don't lose their right to pray. Jake Warner, who's senior counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom, told me the Supreme Court was very clear in their ruling that Coach Kennedy didn't force anyone, particularly the students, to join with him. And the Supreme Court said that high school students would know that the school is not endorsing uh, Coach Kennedy's prayer just because they allowed him to go have this private moment after the football games, especially when other students and staff could be calling in a restaurant order or checking email or doing all kinds of other things. Warner said that legally the case hinged on the misuse of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment that prohibits the government from establishing a religion. There's no officially sponsored religion in America. Um, so what that clause prevents is the government from coercing people to exercise faith in ways that they disagree with. But here, 
the school district was using the Establishment Clause as a reason to discriminate against people of faith, here particularly Coach Kennedy. Warner also said the ruling should give public employees confidence that they won't lose their jobs for doing private acts of faith. And moving on to sad news from the NFL, superstar quarterback Tom Brady announced that he and his wife Giselle Bündchen will be getting a divorce. The 45-year-old said on Instagram, quote, In recent days, my wife and I finalized our divorce from one another after 13 years of marriage. We have arrived at this decision amicably and with gratitude for the time we spent together. On the field, Brady was in action last night for Tampa Bay, getting sacked three times in the loss to the Ravens and setting the career record for most times sacked with 556 in the process. And for tonight in sports, your viewing schedule includes 11 NBA games, including the star-studded Lakers, who are still looking for win number one playing at Minnesota. Meanwhile, the NHL has six games planned for this evening, featuring the defending Stanley Cup champion Avalanche taking on the Devils in New Jersey. And finally, for you baseball fans, after five days of inactivity, the World Series begins tonight in Houston. Aaron Nola gets the start for the Phillies while the Astros send out Cy Young hopeful Justin Verlander. That's all for your sports news. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And thanks to you for tuning in. That's all for today's news. I'm Stephanie Cox. Until next time, good night.